My name is Logan Fields. Uh, I am just a regular member here at Riverside. I was in ministry right out of college. We were in full-time ministry, my wife and I. And later on, about four years ago, we went into full-time uh, business. We're entrepreneurs now. And uh, yesterday, my wife went clothes shopping. She came back, and she like gave me this face. She said, I got great clothes today. She still hasn't told me how much it costs, though, or what we got. And, yeah, it's just one of those weekends. Like, you know what I really want for lunch today? Chick-fil-A. But that's not happening. We, uh, we just went to Vermont last week for, for a family wedding, and we were gone for, like, four days. It was, it was an extended trip. So it's like a six-and-a-half-hour drive, um, and I kind of have... Uh, a little bit of a monkey brain where I'm just all over the place. I have so many ideas and I, I have a little bit of a hard time winding down. No, I have a, a big hard time winding down and like focusing on people around me, which is uh, not, not a good thing at all. The drive though to Vermont was actually the best part of the trip because I couldn't get on email, I couldn't get on uh, like, like WhatsApp or or anything like that, I had to just focus on what I was doing, and you, you're a little bit distracted because you're doing something, you're driving, and then, uh, you know, we just kind of hung out as a family for six hours, uh, and it was like the best part of the trip. We get distracted so easily, and I think it's easy to not realize how distracted we are oftentimes. We're on our phones all the time. Uh, we get up, we have to go to work fairly early for most of us, um, and then you're tired after that, uh, and then you've you got to watch the Netflix, and right, you're just distracted all the time. It's so easy uh, to not realize that you're not focusing on good things right in front of you. And we, I've had kind of a weird schedule these last two weeks. I was in LA for business like two weeks ago, and then last week we were in Vermont, and so the rhythm's kind of off a little bit. And uh, I work from home. We own a software company, and our whole team is remote. So I'm just, I have a home office, and everybody else that works with us uh, works from their home as well. And so my son, my four-year-old son all the time is coming in, uh, <laughs> Daddy, can you play with me? Like all the time. And I feel like a, a jerk because I'm like, no, I have to work, like constantly throughout the day. But I do try to make sure I make time in the evenings. But with the way the schedule's been, uh, I just, it kind of hasn't happened because I've been so distracted and not always with important things. And it kind of hit me last night uh, that I had not spent time, because I, I worked a lot yesterday too, I, I usually work a half Saturday at least, and it, it kind of hit me that I hadn't done anything with my kids except for planned family things in Vermont for like 10 days because I was so distracted. And if I can do that with my own kids and my own family, how easy is it for us to do that with Jesus? Psalm 23 is the psalm we're going to be in today. This is the most famous prayer of all time, except for maybe the Lord's Prayer. And it's, it's different in a few ways. 
Um, so David wrote this psalm. Many of his psalms are kind of uh, complaints about hard times, uh, str- talking about struggles, things like that. This psalm is really just talking about how good God is to him. We don't know exactly when he wrote it. It was probably after he had gone through plenty of things. I think, although again, this is conjecture, it was probably after he had been king already. So he had been a shepherd. He had defeated Goliath. He had been a leader of elite mercenaries. He had been a bodyguard for Saul, um, all, all kinds of stuff. And he had become king. Maybe he had even gone through some betrayals after being king. And so he had seen a lot of good and bad times. And his response is so important. And, and it shows really what I would call the ideal Christian life. We're going to read this, and I want everyone to know that this can be what describes the Christian life. But in a sec, we'll talk about maybe why that it's not what describes the average Christian life. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's start with the first thing. The Lord is my shepherd. If you're a Christian, then that can be true, and it, it should be true. But, but the first place to start is whether or not you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, because that's not a default thing. You're not just automatic he's not automatically your shepherd by default uh you you don't because you are inspired by the psalm uh and feel good about it that doesn't make him your shepherd and just because you come to church doesn't make you a christian my family was not christian initially growing up my father was air force we moved around a lot i mainly grew up in japan and hawaii um which was very cool i enjoyed it a lot but I was eight years old. We were not Christians at all. And we went to Japan. And outside of the base gates, there was a, a billboard from like a missionary church that was outside of the base, but it was there to serve service people. A missionary organization had sent these uh, American people to set up the church. And the billboard was for a vacation Bible school. And so my sister, who's three years younger, than I, and I went to Vacation Bible School, and then pretty quickly, we visited the church uh, on a Sunday, like an awards program or something like that, and I think at the awards program uh, for Vacation Bible School, my, my mother accepted Christ as her Savior very soon after my father rededicated his life to Christ, and th- they were planning on getting a divorce at that time. They didn't. After that, God did some very special things for our family, and they're still together today. Not long after I accepted Christ, I had been to junior church a little bit and and, uh, the main services and vacation Bible school. I was eight years old. 
I, after hearing a few times, I understood the gospel, and I was alone in my room, eight years old, and I accepted Christ. And it's amazing to me to think about how God orchestrated us going to Japan for me to hear the gospel. And, but, but that is a, a really important differentiator between us and those who have not accepted Christ is just the decision. Did you know there's, there's only one reason people go to hell? There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. And you will go one of those places. The only reason anybody ever goes to hell is because they reject God's gift, is because they say no to Jesus. That is the only reason. It's not murder. It's not any of those other things. Those are just those are bad, and those are distanced from God, but we're born fallen from God. And J Jesus died for us to be the bridge between us and God. And the only reason somebody wouldn't go to heaven, somebody wouldn't have God as their shepherd, is because they say no to Jesus. And the way you say no, by the way, is not saying yes, is still a no. So the first thing is, have you accepted Christ? It's, it's not a default thing. It's not something that happens by accident. Uh, it's a decision you make. And it, it's really popular in our culture uh, to kind of act like you can be a default Christian like because you feel good about a church service or, or whatever. You connect with Christian ideologies that therefore you're a Christian, just kind of like you can choose to be a Republican or a Democrat just based on ideology. But that's not, that's not the way God's family works. It's have you made the heart decision to accept Christ, which is not the same thing as intellectually believing what he has done. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The things God gives are good. The Christian life is not necessarily easier than another life in that we're not going to deal with less tragedy or less uh, financial issues necessarily, th things like that. But how we go through it when we follow Jesus is going to look and feel completely different than without him. And he, he does have good things. Some of them are material. Some of them are immaterial. He, he makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads beside still waters. He restores my soul. And one of the things right here is his leading, right? Where he, he takes us, these special blessings. But an important element there is hearing and listening and heeding God's voice. I was, I was thinking about this last night a little bit, and I was kind of going to be presenting uh, the fairly atypical preacher answer to God's voice, which is like kind of a to-do list of read your Bible, pray, things like that, and then you can hear God's voice. And those things aren't inherently incorrect, but I, I sat back and I thought about, that's kind of a weird question when you think about it. How do you know God's voice? How, well, how do you know your wife's voice? How do you know your dad's voice? Because you know them. 
and you've, you've heard it. Now, one of the ways, of course, we get to know Jesus is through prayer and listening to what his word has to say. But it's not just some cold to-do list. It's, it's relational. And when we listen to his voice, it's often quiet uh, and not pushy. Jesus doesn't really lead in a pushy way, like, at all. It's a big difference between him and a lot of human leaders. He, he's very quiet and gentle, but if we're super distracted, then we're often not going to hear his voice. You're probably not going to hear his voice unless it's a big wake-up call, and you don't want to get to that point. All, you, you know, there are all these Christian conspiracy theories about what Satan's doing, uh, he's going to, you know, in this political party or that political party or this organization, and he's d- doing this to build up the one world order and, and take down Christianity, which m- most of those things are probably not as intensely true at all as those conspiracy theories. Some of them maybe. But listen, Satan doesn't have to do any of that. He just has to get us watching more Netflix to not hear God's voice. He just has to have us distracted to not hear God's voice and Jesus not get his way. We're on our phones all the time. We're thinking about our finances all the time. There's relational conflicts all of the time. It doesn't mean that you don't steward things and don't deal with issues that come up, but putting them in God's hands instead of obsessing over them is the big difference. Where he leads is totally different, and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so there, there's a really important distinction is paths of righteousness. Now, as, as God leads, it's really important that we obviously follow his voice because if we do it ourselves, we're just going to wind up in a totally different place than what he has. I think of marriage uh, as a kind of a great example of how important God's path is. Um, I think most of us in here are probably married with, with some exceptions. Um, but what I went through and what a lot of my friends went through when we were going in that stage of eventually going to get married, dating, engaged, all that, is we wanted to make sure we picked the right person. And so we had this list. And we'd have these special prayers, like answer this prayer and this prayer and this prayer and this prayer. You know, if, if she buys me ice cream, she's the one. Just whatever. Uh, you laugh, but you'd be amazed at what people, some people pray for. Um, and, you know, they, they need to be a super Christian, and they need to be financially stable and emotionally stable. You're talking about Jesus at this point. Like, a human doesn't exist that's in their 20s that meets that criteria. But, but um, we make these lists, and the problem is people change so much in the first five to ten years of marriage. Your list is not going to help you because you're going to change a lot. You're, the person you marry is going to change so much. You need the supernatural. You need Jesus who can see way down the road. He knows what you need. We don't even know what we need. We don't know how the world's going to develop, how we're going to develop, how relationships around us are going to develop. 
everything is going to look so different, and our understanding is so limited. As we grow uh, in Christ um, and just general maturity, even our understanding grows, it's kind of the difference between an acorn and an oak. As you grow, you become, you are this, and then you become the other thing. Those are totally different things. Um, And, you know, the acorn, us deciding on these major decisions that affect our next 5, 10, 20 years is a bad idea. Jesus has his path, and it's going to be different, and it's going to be better than what we could plan for. But we have to step away from the distraction enough to where we can hear his voice. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And there's, there's kind of a, a little litmus test right there if you're wondering about your path. Uh, really easy to apply to, like, relationships uh, in, in, like, dating, in even friendships and family relationships. Is it something that is, like, distinctly unbiblical? If so, don't excuse it away. Because that's easy to do, isn't it? They're like, oh, well, it's just for a limited time. I'll fix it later. I hear stuff like that all the time in all kinds of relationship dynamics. If it doesn't fit that criteria, then go on God's path. Because the problem is we don't think about decisions like that as paths. We think of them as like these isolated temporary decisions, like, but they're not. They're not. When we make a decision, we've set ourselves on a path. And if it's not God's path, you're going to go who knows how far off. And it takes, you can come back to God for sure. You can readjust and come to God's, uh, God's path, but that doesn't automatically happen. And you can lose the blessings that were planned along the way. Um, and your, your whole life can be different if you just follow God's path and listen to his voice. For his name's sake. So a big thing, obviously, I think about there is testimony. Um, how people are our testimony to others. Now, I'm careful of this because there is so much obsession, like unhealthy obsession, about what other people think about us in Christian culture and just generally in American culture. Um, so I mean something really specific, and, and God means something really specific by this. He's not saying to front, to act like something other than you are. He's saying be in his path, and you will become what he wants you to become for his name's sake. Not look this certain way, put on this costume, and you'll, it'll be a, like something that draws people to Jesus. It won't. Look, being fake um, will not draw anyone to Jesus. I promise it will do the exact opposite big time. I grew up in these, uh, and, I, and I'm thankful that I heard the gospel, and I learned some great things, and there was heavy Bible concentration that I definitely benefited from, but my wife and I both grew up in very legalistic churches, very legalistic, like, you know, tie every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I don't wear ties anymore, um, and, you know, women can't wear uh, pants. They have to wear skirts, long skirts, and like people, there were whole books and arguments about whether screens in church were biblical and just silly stuff like that. But what they would do 
is they were obsessing about what they would, they would use the word testimony. But it was because they wanted, they wanted to look good for people who would see them, but it was this fake, toxic, extra-biblical stuff that Jesus doesn't care about at all, and it produces a, a really bad spirit that repels people. And those churches, I think, are actually a minority of American Christianity. But people who are not Christians, when they think of Christianity, they think of, when they think of us, they think of those churches because of how big and bad that testimony was because they, they produced these fake things and they obsess so much about looking good that it produces fake things. But what Jesus does is he asks us to follow his path and it will be a light to others. You see this in the Old Testament with Israel. Israel had to do all kinds of weird things, right? Like they're going through the wilderness, although part of that was a punishment, but they, they have a tabernacle. They have like weird costumes for the priests. Uh, they have weird dietary restrictions. Um, they, they can't work on Sundays, like all kinds of weird things. And some of them had like health implications. A lot of them didn't though. A lot of them were just straight-up weird. Animal sacrifices, just step back and objectively look at that. They were, they were sacrificing, like, birds and lambs and stuff. That is objectively weird. Well, why? Because Jesus, God, wanted Israel to be a light to the nations. That was the whole point. It wasn't like they were, Israel was just God's people and nobody else, he wasn't interested in anybody else. Israel was chosen to be a light to the world, and these things were being done to showcase, to, to, it was like spiritual marketing. Hey, over here. And it, it did work in a lot of ways, but God had these things on his path to be a light to others for his name's, for his name's sake. It's not about the blessings we get on the way. Um, it's not about us getting what we want. It's about his name. We should want to show other people how good Jesus is. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So he talks about these, this is, he's going on a journey. God is his shepherd. There's still waters, there's green pastures, and there's the valley of the shadow of death. We as Christians, we're going to go through the same general stuff as everybody else. About every 10 years, most of us are going to have some big valley that's dark and deep. Financial, relational, different kinds of tragedy. That will be what happens for most of us about every decade uh, and for everybody else in America and the world too. The difference is how we go through it. The difference is also how we feel through it and the fact that we can be a light to others through it. And when David goes through it, he doesn't call it the valley of death. He says it's the valley of the shadow of death. It's not death maybe feels kind of like it, maybe feels a lot like it. His rod and his staff comforts him. 
in America, I think probably all of human history, but definitely right now in America, we're super averse to authority. His rod and his staff, kind of authoritative things, right? But man, when you're going through something hard and you're going through one of your valleys and you realize he has authority, he can say and make happen whatever he wants. He has as much control as he wants. The beautiful thing about the sovereignty of God is not that he has ordained whatsoever cometh to pass. It's that he can take our dumb decisions and ridiculous things that happen in the world and that other people do to us and still get something beautiful on the other side. And that's what he can do in our valleys. That's what he wants to do in our valleys. About, uh, so I was in ministry before, and then we, we started a software company, and we left ministry, and made a lot of money right away, and then didn't. And we got poor real quick. And our, our marriage was broken, our kids were broken, we were months late on the rent, credit card debt, and we went to like this uh, Mexican fair. We were in Texas. It was the only thing going on that I could find. It was like a festival or something. Um, we were just trying to find something to make us feel good and like we could enjoy each other as a family or, or anything. I took some money out of the ATM when we got there, and the balance on the account after I took out the money was $40. I didn't have a paycheck. I owned the company. We weren't making any money. $40 doesn't even pay for diapers and formula for our one-year-old son. Man, that was, that was not fun. Cut to like a year later, uh, we were still struggling, maybe six months later, something like that. We're still struggling. We're living with her parents. We lived with uh, my in-laws for a year. And man, things just weren't clicking in. And one night, I'm up at like 2 a.m., the lights were off. I don't, I don't know why I had the lights off, if I had like gotten up or what, but I'm in this, this family room. Everybody is sleeping upstairs. It's like 2 a.m., and I just I say, God, you have to do something. And I didn't mean it like, would you please do something? Can you do something? Will you do something? Like, to me, it wasn't... It's a little bit hard to explain, but it wasn't a request as much as a realization. There was no plan B. God, you have to do something. Not in an audible voice, but in his way, he said, now you understand. This psalm is for people that are going through darkness. And some of you in front of me are. Probably a good handful of you are going through something dark and deep, and you try to think about fixes, but they're not coming. Financial, relational, jobs, whatever. Tragedy. Go to God and say, hey, you have to do something now. And put it in his hands 
and watch how he answers when we do that. It is different and better than what we can attempt or think of or plan. A few months later, it took like three, four months, things were much better, uh, definitely much, much better in our marriage. God did some very special things financially, all of that. Now, at the time, that seemed like a long time. Now, looking back, I realize that's actually pretty quick. Um, when you, whatever you're going through, your story's not going to be the same as mine. It may take longer. It may be harder than many of you go through much harder things than what I just described. It may take much longer. It may look different. You may not get all of the special uh, results that I got. But it will be good. It will be the type of good that we don't understand to even ask for. It'll be the type of good that Jesus gives. But get away from the distraction and go to him and put it in his hand. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. So uh, you, ta- you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's talking about like this. Basically, David's saying, you throw a banquet party for me and throw this celebration in front of my enemies. Our enemies are not really the, the level of what David went through for most of us, or may, probably not any of us. Our, our, our enemies tend to be, and I know enemy's a strong word, um, but it does exist. Our enemies tr- tend to be people who are manipulative, uh, people who are out to get us um, in, in different relationships at work, in family, often in family, things like that. The temptation is to, to fight back, to defend ourselves, um, even to try to do it from a good place. Well, I'm following God and um, all, of, all of that. The, the problem is, especially, for example, if you're dealing with someone who's really manipulative, which probably almost everyone has someone like that in your life, manipulative, passive-aggressive, and you're just trying to follow God. Well, the problem is if you shoot back and you try to play the passive-aggressive rep, no, I'm not even going to try to say it, the, the back and forth, repartee. It was from living in Japan. I just can't speak French words. Um, the ba- if you try to do the back and forth with somebody who's super passive-aggressive, and they're like Machiavellian, they're manipulative, you're going to lose. Because you're playing their game. You're going to lose, and you're going to be more mad. You will have given up, and probably more hurt, and you will have given up the opportunity uh, to, to be a light to, to those people too. Instead, just back off and let God handle it. For, for us in like what we were doing, we left ministry in those churches that I mentioned to you before, is what really the main, what led to us going into business, and this is absolutely where God has us. When I left ministry to people around, I may as well have denounced God. It was a big deal to, to people around us. And, uh, and then we were starting a business, which is very risky, and most businesses fail. They do. That's the truth. Um, 
and thing, things weren't going well, and people said all kinds of things to us about starting the business. And honestly, we're, we, we're in a good place now, but I was, I was talking to Danielle about this yesterday. Like, people will ask me, well, well, how did you start? Like, how did you get sales and stuff when you start? And I don't honestly have, like, a great answer. We didn't have money for marketing. I mean, I kind of, I, I hit the streets and tried to sell. We, we do, uh, we do uh, software, custom mobile apps. I try to, like, go sell some apps and stuff. But honestly, like, where we are, it, it's Jesus said so. That's all it is. It's not that we had a great amount of capital to start with or some good strategy or something. We knew it's what God had for us. I didn't really have great human explanation because, and, and people would be like, well, if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than a heathen. That's a verse in the Bible. It's true. And that was a little hard to, to come back to, to come back on, because we didn't have any money. What was I supposed to say to that? Um, and for a while in the beginning, I would try to defend. And it really just made me obsess and distracted over what people were saying and what people thought. And I realized early, fairly early on, which has helped, to just like let it, let it go. And uh, what God does in your life results. People can't argue with that. It's a banquet table right in front of them. And it's not about making them look bad. It's not about making them feel wrong. It's about saying, hey, when you follow Jesus, even if you can't understand exactly why this is his path, when you follow Jesus, he follows through. And it's about showing other people that. It's not about kicking your enemies in the teeth. It's about his name's sake. That's a really different position than where we tend to start. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This place of sacrifice and praise is where David wanted to stay. And that's how we get on God's path. If we're in a place of sacrifice and praise where we can hear his voice, we, we will be on his path. He's so gentle with us. It's, it's so different than the typical human leader. The typical human leader is a very hard driver, um, results-driven, do this or else that. Jesus leads really gently, and he's very patient, like a good shepherd. He's not whipping us all along the way. He's not. And that's not how he responds to his children. He's a gentle leader. But in order to be able to respond properly to a gentle leader, you have to just stop and listen. What he has for us is so much better than what we can plan for. We've gone a lot of places in this psalm today, kind of a lot of, a lot of different concepts. Where I want to stop today, though, is 
just revisiting the fact that this is a psalm for people in darkness, for people who are going through a valley, and you're going through something hard. Go, my challenge to you would be go to Jesus. Say, I need you to do something now. Now, what he does is up to him. How he answers that is up to him. You don't know what you need. You don't know what the answer should be. We don't. But go to him and watch how he answers. For those of you who you're hearing God speak to you right now about this, by the way, like a great time to pay attention to what God's voice sounds like and remember it for the future. Let's pray.